0: Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 18. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And now, Father, as we humble ourselves under Your Word, I ask that our hearts would be riveted on the truth. And I pray that there would come now a a spirit of grace by which we can, with the eyes of the heart, see our inheritance. I pray the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 that... The eyes of our hearts might be granted to know the hope to which we've been called and the greatness of the riches of the glory of our inheritance in saints. So, Lord, open this verse to us now. I pray so that we are weaned off of the world and made heavenly-minded so that we might become of earthly use. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we move to verse 17, which is a spectacular and scary promise. It's spectacular because it says that the children of God will inherit the inheritance of our Father. And God owns the universe, and therefore to come into the inheritance of what our Father owns is a spectacular inheritance. And it's scary because it says if you are going to inherit it, you must suffer with Christ. Look at verse 17. If children, then heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. But first, let's back up and make sure that we remember the main point from last week's message Which is found especially in verse 16. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. So if you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, according to verse 9, you have the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you. If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit within you. So the question is, what does He do there in you? And the answer is, He testifies that you are the child of God. He works to bring you assurance that you belong to God as a child and He's your Father. How does He do that? And what we saw last week was two ways. The first is found in the connection between verses 13 and 14. If by the Spirit... Pick it up in the middle of verse 13. If by the Spirit... Mark those words. By the Spirit. This is the witnessing Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live... And here comes the basis of that statement. Because for... All who are thus being led to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, all who are thus being led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And the sons of God live forever and therefore you will live. And so I concluded last time that one of the ways that the Spirit testifies, gives you evidence... That you are a child of God is that he leads you into war against your sin. If you're led by the Spirit, you're a child of God. Where does he lead? It's given us the ground for if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. So the leading is into war against your sin. So you want to know if you're a child of God this morning? Don't reach for a card that you signed when you were Six. Ask, have I made peace with sin in my life? Am I at home with it? And am I content with it? And do I get along with it just fine? Or have I been led by the Spirit to make war on it so that day by day I am putting to death the deeds of the body? That's how you can know if you're a child of God. How do you feel about the sin in your life? Do you hate it and make war on it, or do you like it and make peace with it and have a cavalier attitude towards your rotten attitudes and your continual shortcomings, which we all have? That's the first way he testifies. Here's the second way. In verse 15, he cries from within us, Abba, Father. Let's read this. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which... Now notice that by which and relate it to the by the Spirit in verse 13. In verse 13, it's by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. And in verse 15, it's by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. So we got two works of the Spirit here testifying that we are the children of of God when there rises in your heart as a child of God abba father that's the holy spirit testifying that you're his and at the end of the service last week at least in one of the services i said compare that to 1 corinthians 12:3 which says nobody can say Jesus is cursed by the Holy Spirit. You don't say Jesus is cursed when speaking by the Spirit. And nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So now we have two things that our mouths and our hearts say when the Holy Spirit is reigning in our lives. The first is the result of a deep change by which he makes us subordinate under the lordship of Jesus so that in all humility and lowliness we cry out, Jesus is my Lord and I am under him and he's over me, my master, my ruler. I cry that. If that's what's crying in your heart, you're a child of God. And the other one is not a cry of... So much humility and subordination as it is confidence and boldness and joy saying, God is my Father. So those are the two things. If by the Spirit you cry, Jesus is Lord, God is my Father, that's the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart that you are the child of God. Do you submit to Jesus as Lord? And do you embrace God as your all-need-meeting Father? You're a child of God. And now hold your breath. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Jesus. If you suffer with Him, in order that you might be glorified with Him. Verse 17. Don't miss this. That verse is in the Bible to make you happy. You don't walk up to somebody and say, Guess what? You are going to get a spectacular, unimaginably great inheritance in order to discourage them. If you tell somebody you're going to have an inheritance beyond all imagining you mean for it to have an emotional effect on their life, namely, good one. A good one. This verse is in the Bible to make Christians dance. If not now, at least later. Right? So let's listen. Let's listen to what Paul is doing for us here If you are children, you are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. Two great truths. First, you are an heir of God and will inherit God's possession. Two, you must suffer with Him in order to get it. Let's take them one at a time. What's the inheritance here? Maybe before I answer that, I should ask the question a little more pointedly. As you face the pleasures and the pain of the remainder of your life, what are you hoping in beyond this life that will make these pleasures seem incredibly small and these pains seem manageable. So now ask yourself that. What are you hoping in beyond these pleasures and beyond this pain that makes the pleasure small and the pain manageable? Or do you watch so much television... And spin the wheels of your mind around so many possible purchases that you don't ever think about eternity. And it doesn't hold out anything glorious and beautiful and attractive for you that you can hardly wait to get there. I was walking across the bridge this morning. God's blessed bridge. It was snowing and the wind was blowing. I had on my big winter coat with a hood. So I had the hood up, keeping my head against the wind so I wouldn't get hit with the snowflakes. And I had my hands in my pockets up here. And it hit me as I was about halfway across the bridge. This feels really good. It feels so cozy inside this big winter parka. And then it hit me. You know, I've never had a winter vacation. I always take summer vacations. I never feel cozy in the summertime. I only feel cozy in the wintertime. I like to feel cozy. I would like a winter vacation. little cabin in the woods, 30 below outside, fireplace inside, cup of hot chocolate, Noel in one chair, good biography in my lap. Mmm. All that on the bridge. And and then the next thought, and then the next thought was, I can wait for that. I don't need that. Can you wait? Till you're dead for that? Or do you gotta have it now? Every pleasure you can conceive of. I gotta get it now. I gotta plan my retirement in a certain way. I gotta plan my vacations in a certain way. I've gotta plan my housing and my driving and my toys and my relationships in a certain way, because I gotta pack it in before I die because that's it. Or do you have a vision for your inheritance that says it's gonna be hot chocolate? And fireplaces and cabins and cozy and mountaintops and valleys and sand and seas and lakes and deserts and everything this world has to offer multiplied by 10,000 forever and ever exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. So I don't need it now. And therefore with what Ever suffering it takes, I can serve this world and gather as many perishing people with me as I can on the road to that glory. I tell you, it is a tragic thing that there are people calling themselves Christians and on the television who say, Because we are kings, kids, and because we have such an inheritance, wear it now, drive it now, live in it now. Don't buy it. If we suffer with Him, we shall inherit with Him. The whole point is, you've got it all coming. Everything is yours, Christian. You don't need it now. Give yourself away. Make this little two-second vapor's lifespan a life of love. Not a life of accumulation and maximizing comforts and pleasures here. Spin it for others. So, what you need to do with me is fall in love with your inheritance. And the only way I know I help you do that is describe it for you. So let's try. What is the inheritance? Number one, there are three aspects to the inheritance that is coming to all you children of God. First, it is the world. Verse 13 of chapter 4 of Romans. Romans 4.13, the promise to Abraham and to his descendants, and that's you if you share the faith of Abraham. That's the whole point of Paul's thinking. The promise to Abraham and to his descendants, all those who have his faith, that he would be the heir of the world. There it is. The heir of the world was not through the law, but by the righteousness of faith. So if you've been with me now for four years, catching on to the justification by faith, then you are a child of God if you believe in Christ, and you will inherit the world. Because... You're an heir of God. Psalm 24, one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So you're His heir. The earth and everything in it will be made over to you someday. Why crab for it now? As though a little teeny piece of it Was worth it. When you get it, oh! Or, picture this. It says that you are a fellow heir with Jesus. What did God say to his son in Psalm 2, 8? He said to his son, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. I'm a fellow heir with Jesus. Jesus owns the nations. All the nations will bow to Jesus. Therefore, all the nations are mine. Do I need some authority now? Do I need a little piece of power now? I don't need any power now. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? Don't throw away your meekness because it feels good to have a little piece of power now. You're going to get it all. Here's the way Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 3. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Now what does that mean? Practically speaking, what does it mean? I've got the world. I've got the nations. I've got the earth. I've got everything in it. And I've got all things, including death. Thank you. Life and death are yours. It means that everything, the positive things, the negative things, are going to serve your happiness forever. They're going to serve your happiness. The world is at your disposal for your happiness someday. The nations are at your disposal for your happiness someday. The earth and all that is in it. Life, death, things present, things to come are all at your disposal for your happiness someday. Everything will serve your happiness, even the painful things. What shall we say? Shall tribulation, or distress, or peril, or famine, or nakedness, or sword separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all these things we are more than what? More than conquerors. Now, what is that? What's more than a conqueror? A conqueror, if you defeat your enemy, he lies dead. Can't hurt you anymore. More than a conqueror means he rises up and he serves you. That's what everything will do for us. We are more than conquerors. All of our perils, all of our calamities, all of our diseases, all of our hardships, all of our troubles are going to rise up and serve us in this life and ultimately, perfectly, in the age to come. Everything, the world, the earth, everything in it, all the nations, good things, bad things, everything serves the people of God. That's what it is to have the world as your inheritance. That's the first aspect of the inheritance. Here's the second one. You will inherit, as a child of God, God himself. Romans 5 verse 2 says, We exult in the hope of the glory of God. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. If all you are hoping in is the gift of God and not God, you're an idolater. The only thing that keeps the gifts of God, which are good and meant for our joy, from being idols is that we hope in God beyond them, in them, and through them. So that every good and perfect gift that is from our Father doesn't cause our hearts to terminate on it, but go through it and become an act of worship. Do you, when you take from your Father's hand the gifts of this life, Worship. Or are you like a little ingrate on Christmas morning who snatches the gift from his mother's hand and plays with it all day and never gives a thought to the giver like 90% of the world does every day from God's hands? What an insult to receive from someone a gift And exult in the gift and never even give them the slightest glance of appreciation or love, let alone adoration that they, the giver, are worth 10,000 times more to you than the gift. That's where most humans are, which is why the wrath of God is piling up in heaven so high. We love His gifts. And He can just take a vacation... So the second part of your inheritance is, you will inherit God. Unless you think the glory of God in Romans 5, 2 is somehow something abstracted from God, consider verse 11 of that same chapter where it says, Not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 21, 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Hasn't that always been the bottom line treasure of the people of God? Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And on earth there's nothing that I desire besides Thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Hasn't that always been the cry of the heart for God? Is it yours? Do you say that? Whom have I in heaven but God? On earth, by comparison to God, I desire nothing. If I could have God let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. And if you get God you get everything with God. That's the second aspect of our inheritance and oh how we need to cultivate a spiritual taste for it. Here's the third one. Third aspect of our inheritance a glorified body and mind. I get this from the following verses, which is next week's text. Romans 8, especially verses 22 and 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together until now in the pains of childbirth, so... This world is in childbirth pangs. The world is pregnant, as it were. And the groanings of this world are like birth pangs. Verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Why is that part of the inheritance? See, if your parents leave you an inheritance, they could make it significant, probably. They could arrange for it, if God prospered them, to be very big. They could put certain things about it that would be objectively stunning. They can't do this. God can not only present the world, the earth, everything in it, the nations, life, death, and everything to you as an objective gift someday for your happiness. And he can not only present himself to you as an infinitely superior value and beauty to enjoy forever and ever. He can do one other thing that's absolutely essential for our maximum joy in the inheritance. He can come inside of us and glorify us by giving us a new body. We groan, waiting our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Why is that important? Because guess what? Your capacities for pleasure right now are infinitesimally small compared to what they need to be in order to maximally enjoy this inheritance, which is everything that God has to give, plus God himself. If all you had for all eternity was the little teeny-weeny capacity for pleasure and joy that you have right now, you would be a mega-frustrated person for 10 billion years. You have got to have a new heart and a new mind and new taste buds and new sensory cells and new olfactory cells and new eyes and new ears so that when you get the new heavens and the new earth, you can explode with an appropriate pleasure, which you couldn't begin to right now. You've got to have a new body to manage these pleasures. They are so spectacularly great, especially God himself. How are you doing in your enjoyment of God? (laughs) Not very good. Not very good. And yet that's held out to us as the all-satisfying, everlasting joy. And therefore, I am so happy that not only does God promise me Himself and all the world besides, He promises a new John Piper. With a new brain to process things and a new heart to feel things and a new spiritual body to not commit idolatry when I enjoy the fish that Jesus ate after his resurrection to prove that there would be eating in heaven. How are you going to not be an idolater? How are you going to experience physical pleasures that don't compete with pleasures in God if you don't get changed? Because here, it's always a competition. It's always a temptation. Every good and perfect gift from above is a threatening idol. And I am so eager for the day to come when that's not true anymore. And I can enjoy everything he made in such a way that he gets the glory in every single savoring moment of the good gifts that he gives. So, the third aspect of the inheritance is a glorified body. Last point, in order to inherit this threefold inheritance, the world and all that is in it, God himself and a glorified body and mind, we've got to suffer. If children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, indeed, if indeed we suffer with him, If indeed we suffer with him, if indeed we suffer with him, so that as a result of the suffering we may be glorified with him. Jesus said it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul said it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hebrews said it, for the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Peter said it, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. No pain, no gain. No cross, no crown. No suffering, no inheritance. That's the way it is, folks. That's the way God has set it up. We groan our way to glory. Why? Why? Before I ask why, you might you might be asking, what kind of suffering are you talking about? You talking about persecution? or friends that go haywire or troubled marriage or sickness or calamity like an earthquake in the northeast? Or what are you talking about when you say suffer? If we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. What do you mean, Paul? Now, to answer that question, what I did was stay with the flow of the thought into next week's text, and just took my answer, which I commend to you now, from the next verses, 18 to 23, which talks about the futility of this creation, owing to the curse that's on it, God subjected subjected the creation to futility in hope, and the result is that the whole creation is groaning, we ourselves are groaning, and what is that? That's everything. This world is under a a curse from God because of the sin that permeates it and began with Adam. Everything breaks. Nothing works. Everything gets old. Everything wears out. Futility governs this world. And we, creatures fallen in it, groan with all the rest of it. We groan our way to glory, awaiting the redemption of our bodies. So in the context and the flow of thought, surely the suffering would include whatever makes you groan. So here's my simple answer to what kind of sufferings is he talking about in verse 17? He's talking about any futility, any groaning, any persecution, any calamity, any sickness, any hardship... Which you suffer on the pathway that leads to heaven and endure by trusting Jesus. And that's the issue here. Not the kind of suffering, but with Jesus. With Jesus. If we suffer with Him. With Him. What does with Him mean? It means that we stand with Him no matter what befalls if I get cancer, I'm with Jesus. And Jesus is going to help me, strengthen me, heal me, carry me, give me the grace to endure. If I get persecuted, I'll stand with Jesus. I'm not going to bail out on the Christian faith. In other words, anything that comes into your life that threatens to make you an unbeliever, a doubter of the goodness of God, that is the suffering that you must endure on the way to heaven with Jesus. Now the question, Why? Why would God ordain that we must suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him? Chapter 5, verse 3 gives the answer, or at least part of the answer. There Paul says, We exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation works Perseverance or endurance. We exult in our troubles, every kind, because these troubles produce or work perseverance or endurance. And I ask, in what? Perseverance in what? Endurance in what? I mean, they seem to threaten endurance. I'm doing along just fine, it seems, and along comes a calamity or a persecution or a disease, and it seems to threaten my perseverance. Well, which is it? Is it working perseverance or threatening perseverance? It's working perseverance by weaning you off of false reliances in yourself and in things so that you fall more and more on God as your only hope and treasure. I believe I could say with pretty high-level authority if there were any person in this room who lived a life with zero trouble, you would not be a believer. Because, number one, you'd begin to think you were worth it. And number two, you'd fall in love with all the benefits that surround you. And they would become your God. We've all tasted it. We know that when things go really smooth... God begins to fade. And when things get troubled, we cry out to God. And God knows it, and we know it, and therefore afflictions work perseverance in faith, perseverance in hope, perseverance in trusting in the treasure. God has to do everything He can do to knock the crutches of earth reliance out from under us so we will lean upon our Savior and lean upon our God and love our treasure and not our retirement plan. I mean, suppose you plan a big, nice, fat, easy, fishing, golfing, 20-year, wasted retirement. And God takes your health at age 65. What's he doing? He's getting you for himself to keep you from perishing on the golf course with idolatry. Oh, the American way is a wicked, dangerous way. If we suffer with him, we shall be glorified with him. So let me close with a picture from John Newton. Remember Newton? Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. He had a great way with words. He was a great painter of pictures with his language. And he helped me so much a year and a half ago when I was wrestling with these things. And here's his picture, and I close with this. He said, Picture life as a journey to receive a great inheritance always think of life as a journey to receive a great inheritance. Let me read what he said. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down A mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Let's pray. Father, forgive our murmuring. We are so guilty. We are so guilty of belittling our inheritance with our murmuring about our broken carriages. Forgive us, Father, as a church, as families, single people, young, old. We are a murmuring people. We scarcely cherish the infinitely valuable. Have mercy upon us and open our hearts that we might see with the eyes of the heart the hope to which we've been called and the exceeding greatness of the riches of the glory of our inheritance